Welcome to the Umineko Book Club podcast. Oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Episode three, and I already, like, tripped. I didn't even try to make I hit the ground running. Welcome to the When We Cry podcast, book club. <laughs> fuck. Welcome to the Umineko. Welcome to the When We Cry. I should have written this down, but I never learned. Yeah, I actually <laughs> don't know how you just wing it every day. Welcome to the When We Cry book club podcast. Okay, wait. Welcome to the... When we cry, Umi Neko no Naku Koro Ni Book Club Podcast. I am your host, Lorenzo. <laughs> Fuck. We are finally on Book Club Part 11. We are covering the beginning of Episode 3. Finally! Yay. I am your host, Yay. Lorenzo. Everybody else, introduce yourselves. I am Andy. I am this. I am a mushroom. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's messing up today. <laughs> okay, this is really funny because uh, on the on the first episode Ambi recorded, if I recall correctly, if I recall correctly, Ambi also messed up and introduced himself as, as Mushroom, and now you Mushroom <laughs> messed up and introduced yourself as Ambi. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This this is why me and Mushroom are friends. So yeah, I'm really excited about AP three. Um, I know that we recorded an episode with uh, my other friend, which we are going to dub them Dubs, um, <laughs> who's reading EP3 right now, and they're almost at the ending, and I just realized how, uh, what a minefield EP3 is, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Like, head, red herring, foreshadowing. Oh yeah, totally. Like, it's yes. great. It's uh, very, so like on a reread, I mean, for you people who haven't like read the entirety of Umi Neko no Nakakoroni, what's wrong with you? But um, on a reread, there's like so much <laughs> stuff that like gets goes like past you, and then stuff you thought you'd be hung up on, but end up being red herrings. Meaning nothing. Yeah, yeah. it's very dense, uh, but very good for reviewing and talking about. Uh, anyways, how are you all doing? What's going on in your lives thus far? Anything special? Interesting? Boring? I guess I, I'll I'll, I'll yeah. use this space just to say that i have noticed i swear a whole bunch on episodes so i'm gonna try to keep those in a bit why what, do you want to swear less <laughs> yeah why because i feel like all i do is swear my instead of getting my sentences out i just spend half of my sentence just saying fucking all the time <laughs> instead of saying like yo i really like bread i'm like yo i fucking really fucking like bread and like why would I waste half my phrase saying fucking and shit and stuff, you know? It's so inefficient. Oh my god, how could you? My my virgin ears. Oh. <laughs> I guess you could, like, substitute it with, like, frickin' or even a Portuguese swear, so, like, we can't tell. I just think I understand that that's meaning by, well, you know, like, 20% of that sentence was completely useless. But I guess, like... A good way of thinking about swearing is to not overuse it because a good time swear is like hits really good. Yeah, I yeah, guess. yeah. I didn't like. I, I'm not trying to not swear. I'm just trying to swear west, like to not overswear. Oh, swear, <laughs> swear in the good, good spots. Okay, I have, I have something I want to talk about. Okay, so the first thing is, is that uh, back in last year summer, I, um, I donated money to the bundle for racial justice. Mm -hmm. So I've been just like carving my way through the games in there so the recent my recent endeavor Wait, is sorry Celeste. is this the one that was like it had like hundreds of games yeah like two three thousand games yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> okay cool that's a big backlog yeah any i should have told everybody to do it just because like i donated twenty dollars mm -hmm. in you get like celeste and night in the woods which are both twenty dollars yes exactly i got that too yes well. So I'm playing Celeste, and Celeste is like exactly the not the type of game I like, but um, I just finished beating it. Oh, congrats. Yeah, Celeste is basically, the mountain is a metaphor, and the metaphor is depression. And halfway through the game, the game is like, I'm climbing this mountain because I have this type, I have problems. And, you know, like maybe it'll give me some kind of accomplishment. And like, maybe I'm trying to finish this just so I can feel like I have like did something. And I was like, what the fuck? Is this game calling me out right now? <laughs> when the game plays the player. Exactly. So this last has been a good time. I finished chapter seven and now I'm just going back to get all the, getting, going back to get all the strawberries and trying to unlock these size. But it's really hard on my fingers and it's like pain <laughs> and because i have a i have a keyboard cover like a rubber mm -hmm. keyboard cover um i actually 
dug two holes in there because <laughs> nice. I was playing it. So like on in my C C and both my C and my up arrow key both has a holes in it, like two holes in it, because it's just like because my finger like nails would like dig into it, and I had to cut my fingernails to like not like completely destroy. This. You had to cut your fingernails to play the fucking game. I know. Wow, the game's physically changing you. It's really okay. Des, if you think I'm joking, it is hard because you can't even like be in a conversation and play at the same time. So sometimes I'm just like I just play it every night for like an hour a day. But like there will be rooms that I will basically die like a hundred times. Like I would literally do one room for an hour because it would just be that hard. I think I currently have three thousand. 2,000 deaths for like 20 hours of Celeste. Like, <laughs> no, I totally get it. If you look at my play log for Fire Emblem Awakening, it says I played it like 600 times and I've only played it for 45 hours because I did it for <laughs> always days scum. So don't feel bad. I've done worse. And I, it, I didn't realize until like later on that you could just like bookmark the battle and then like restart it that way without like resetting the whole game. That's on that. Fire Emblem sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so we're about to get into the meat and potatoes of episode three. Actually, not even the meat and potatoes. This is the appetizer. It's the beginning, but it is still very meaty. It's the soup. We're at soup. <laughs> yes, we're, we're at soup. We're <laughs> drinking the umineka soup, like like Rosa did at the uh, at the tea party. It was like her <laughs> siblings' blood and guts soup. Yummy. Anyways, episode three. Welcome for those of you who haven't read umineko. I mean who are still reading through Umineko, you're in for a wild ride for those returning. Jesus, that's all I got to say. Yes, banquet. Banquet time. Yeah. Hey. Yes, welcome to the banquets. That's the food metaphors. But um, we will be covering non-spoiler. We will have a non-spoiler discussion of the first part of episode three. Uh, and then we will give you a notification to log off if you haven't read past that part or, or haven't read the rest of Umineko because we're going to dive into full series spoilers. But in the meantime, sit back, enjoy the ride. We'll be rambling about Umineko Episode 3, Banquet of the Golden Witch. Yay! Okay, let's start. (laughs) Yes, the the, uh, episode, when you click on it, there's a little flavor text that tells you, Good morning, this is a surprise that even you do not surrender because Battler, as you saw, almost gave in to the Golden Witch. Fucking dumbass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was very dramatic. He got kind of kinky for a second, but then he returned, and now he's back from war. He's no longer horny. The Golden Witch has exceedingly high expectations of you. Have you perhaps come to realize the structure of this world? There can be no victory without knowing the rules. Please enjoy a uh, please enjoy a hearting game with the witch. The difficulty level is fair, fair for you and fair for the witch. Now. For first-time readers, this could totally mean nothing to you, but, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler at this point, but if you've noticed, the beginning of every chapter says that each episode has a difficulty level, and if you don't yet know, it's a message from Ryukishi slash the author of the story to you, inviting you to try solving the mystery, and for this episode, there are some truths, some bits of magic that is revealed to you that can help you solve the mystery. Let's dive in. Lettuce. Yes, <laughs> lettuce. Cabbage. Cabbage diving. Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it truly is the banquet of the Golden Witch. <laughs> the episode opens up with uh, a mansion scene that doesn't quite look like the man- uh, Ushirumiya mansion that we are familiar with, but it seems to be a first-person account of a young person who's reminiscing about their childhood, curiously inspecting and breaking grandpa's favorite vase. You know, this person's like, I was told not to touch it, so I did. This POV is from Child Link. I have sold it. Oh, because he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. he has an impulsive desire to break everything. <laughs> yes, this is actually The Legend of Zelda's uh, prequel. Um, <laughs> this is why you have to break absolutely <laughs> everything. prequel everyone wanted. It's not The Legend of the Golden Witch. Umineko no Nakakoro ni The Legend of Zelda. So, <laughs> young Link goes and breaks a vase as they usually do. In pops in a character named Beatrice, but she doesn't look like Beatrice. She's got this, she's not the same Beatrice we know in love. It's some like Brock Pokemon looking hag instead. She's dressed up like the tall lady from Resident Evil Village, which <laughs> yeah. at the time of this recording hasn't come out yet, but I'm going to play TF out of it. 
Yeah, she's called Beatrice or Beatrice. Uh, Beatrice. Uh, Beatrice. But she doesn't look Beatrice. Sorry. <laughs> We're just going to go to the whole book club just calling her Beatrice, huh? Gray Beatrice. I call her Gray Beatrice at this point. Comes in, consoles the little girl, says, calls her young princess, and touts that believing in magic can fix this vase that she just broke. And then this is the first scene we get to see magic in action. Like yes. from a, Like directly see magic happen. It's pretty magical this is the first time we hear the magic words that we're gonna hear so many times I during know. the story that i fucking love oh my god i have fucking <laughs> i have heard this word so many times i have fucking memorized it it's just like Sasa, oh. okay. oh damn you were not kidding <laughs> you really weren't kidding holy shit <laughs> That's wow, impressive. That's, that's, that's amazing. That was a that's a that's a ten out of ten good performance. Qualified Golden Witch speech. Yes, get used to ca- hearing catchphrases because a lot of uh, iconic lines are introduced here in episode three. So prepare yourself. <laughs> Again, this is the first scene we see magic in action. The sa-sa, whatever Jess just said, occurs. <laughs> <laughs> but in English, uh, Beat Rice tells the young princess to try closing her eyes. Remember what form the vase had. And surely it's, it was a very beautiful form. Please show me that form one more time. And if you haven't realized, Ryukishi does his very distinct style of writing and has a very roundabout but whimsical way of describing magic. It works for the magical spells. Not so much for the English prose, but it wasn't <laughs> made for us in the first place. So whatever. <laughs> Gray Beat Rice and the princess leave the mansion. The vase has been fixed. The crisis has been averted. I call her GB at this point because it's easier to say. O-O-O-O-G-O-B-O-B-G-O-I-N Beatrice. Uh, let's <laughs> the princess know that her magic could only temporarily fix the vase and how it's destined to break. So eventually it's going to break and then a stray cat sneaks in and re-breaks the vase as you hear from outside the mansion. Restorative miracles and magic are apparently really hard to pull off, but breaking and killing is far easier and pog. <laughs> it's kind of deep when you think about it, how easy it is to break things, but it takes a monumental amount of effort to repair them. Man, this is so deep. I know. <laughs> so OBGYN Beat Rice says that her own witch master probably had the magical power to fully restore the vase and called her uh, Magic Endless, Ooh. where she can create a world full of mending and where breaking and losing things never actually happens. They go about how sadness comes from separation and loss, and the best way to prevent that is to revive everything forever. The princess vies for this endless witch power and wants eternal happiness but og ob beat rice says that it's a long and arduous path and vets her vets the young princess's resolve and takes her in as her witch apprentice Ooh, spooky we cut to the golden witch beatrice the one that we are familiar with reminiscing on this flashback saying how she's the man now dog that she is now the endless witch and refers to the OG Beatrice as teacher or sensei if you're a weeb and also alludes to the teacher as if she's not around anymore. Beat Rice complains that the eternal bliss has now become eternal boredom now that she's got the eternal magic on lock but this eternal boredom is essentially eternal torture which is witch's greatest weakness. So now you see her playing the game with Badler as we've seen in the past couple episodes but you see what the problem is? The problem is perspective. She's got this boy toy to vibe with and shoot the shit about murdering his family so that's kind of cool right in the same room those demon schoolgirls we've gone to know and love which at this point you've probably read their profile on the tooltips in the umineko menu they're anime versions of the seven deadly sins named after their respective demons they are edgy demon <laughs> edge lords <laughs> They're having a gorgy with Battler over and over. Gorgy is the best. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. She revives him and the anime girls like peg him back to a pulp. And then right next to Beatrice in front of her salad. It's pretty kinky. <laughs> <laughs> and like in a twisted version of the Sasa. I won't say the rest. But the twisted version of the magical words. Yeah. Stop. We can't just recite this every single time it happens. I know. We should just like have a voice clip of you saying the whole speech and then we just like insert it every time it gets mentioned. <laughs> and then every time it is mentioned, it just speeds up. Why, why, why would you take away from me the joy of being able to say it? 
<laughs> okay, we won't do it for the sake of brevity, but um, Beatrice uses a twisted version of the magic that was mentioned by the old Beatrice to uh, bring Battle back from being a spaghetti mess. And during the torture, whenever they revive him and like beat him back to a pulp, they recite red truths that defeated him in the last game, which is, I don't know, I thought that was kind of cool. I think that's cool. I also think it's very cool the way Ryukishi phrases all of this talk about boredom and bliss. And I, I just really like the, like the turnarounds he does with the concepts. Oh, yes. So in this meta world, quote unquote, which is what we call it. I don't know if it's like a spoiler or not to call it a meta world. I, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's not really. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. It's called the meta world. And like throughout the interactions in the meta world, you kind of like learn about storytelling like as a whole. It's meta. I mean, it's in the name, but it's kind of meta. It gives you a meta storytelling about <laughs> storytelling, if that makes any sense, right? Yeah, because like I don't think it's ever mentioned in the story even once that this is called the meta oh, world. Yeah, we yeah, the yeah, fans um, just call it the meta world because it is that meta. Yeah, I think this is okay. This is an interesting conversation I had with my friend Dubs about this. So like, mm -hmm. I was telling him that he because he doesn't talk to anybody outside of the fandom or he doesn't read anything about the fandom, he doesn't actually know any of the terms that the fandom yeah. like begins to adapt to. For example, like he doesn't. That's why I told you guys to not use the word meta world on the episode because or on not on this one, but like the one that we did with him because he does he never used the words meta world. He just used to call up purgatory or purgatorio mm -hmm. because yes, that's yes. what it's referred to in the very first episode but there's like even more examples that i can mention later but i'll reframe them from now that's good i think it's really impressive i mean like i don't know if he's gonna listen to it but i think it's really impressive you haven't mentioned that it's called the meta world you're letting like your friend or dubs i guess for you listeners out there formulate everything from scratch oh yeah no i i've been i also i i would ask him i would be like hey do you want to know what it's called and he's like no and i'm like uh, okay <laughs> homie moment <laughs> it's pretty funny that way if you guys are looking for a reading buddy i nominate mush to help <laughs> chaperone you on your first read through right, yeah. Your next yeah. that's how i'm here <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah i chaperoned Ambi the whole time it was really bad because i remember <laughs> we would used to stay up until like three o'clock and i would read Ambi. Be, like, be, like, like a bedtime story. It's 3 a.m. I'm bedtime for your bedtime. <laughs> no, like, if you think that's joking, but that's, like, so true, though. That's literally what happened. It. So, like, we would literally be on, like, five-hour-long Skype calls because we had nothing yeah. else to do. For some reason, we always called on Skype. I this was before why. Discord. This is before Discord, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I used to Skype all the time, too. I don't know, but that's amazing. You had, like, an Umineko nightcap, like... <laughs> yeah, we would just read for hours, and mm -hmm. I remember being like, Ambi, do you get this now? And Ambi's like, could you explain this to me? And I was like, Ambi, were you paying attention for the last two hours? Yeah, I have a very smooth brain, so I need everything explained to me. <laughs> oh, honestly, me too. Like, again, I, as I've mentioned before, I didn't even try to solve the mystery until the answers started happening before my eyes. But that's a talk for another time. Shall okay, we continue? Let's, we shall. We yes. haven't even got to Eva yet. Yes, uh, the episode three opening happens. It's the same as episode two, I think. Um, so no real comment on that, aside from the fact that it's always a banger. It's always a banger. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, we see the Ushiramiyas on their boat on the way to Rokinjima, I think. Yeah, boat ride! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, boat ride scene. Again, get used to this. The three siblings present on the boat, Ava, Rudolph, and Rosa, all formulated a secret contract to extort money out of Cross, as seen in the previous episode. They think that Cross is being <laughs> sussy, as the kids say, because he's become the de facto head since... I know. Don't, <laughs> so, don't shut up. So, <laughs> since he's become the... They think Cross is sus because he's red. He wears red... <laughs> You know, <laughs> we're in the stop. I have censored the whole Higurashi Vogue episode every time someone mentioned fucking Among Us. <laughs> Please do not, do not make that thing happen again on the fucking it's okay. the thumbnail for this video. Is gonna be Kraus Sussy. I said it. Yeah. Has anyone found an Among Us character? Oh, yeah. There's actually a lot of Umineko uh, Among Us. Um, there's like... a lot of Among Us references in Umineko. Shut <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> that. Oh, okay, anyway. I also just think one of my favorite things is when Rudolph and Hideyoshi are talking about, like, oh, we really need money. Like, you know, like, we are both men and we need to get money to support our family. And they were like, 
Eva had had Rudolph and uh, Rosa for alliance, and they were scheming to take the money away from Cross. And Hideyoshi said, Rudolph, both you and I are co uh, company presidents. We are responsible for the livelihoods of our employees. <laughs> and then Rudolph just says, well, Rosa's a president, too. Well, as a hobby. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I, like, wrote that in my notes, too. She was like, Rudolph, like, shits on her. They're like, we're all presidents of a company except Rosa. She's a pretend president. <laughs> yeah, I just think that's such a fucking shame. No, yeah, it says a hobby because her full occupation is being said. I mean, like, like okay, bitch, like, you saw her, uh, you should have seen her, like, eat your metaphor metaphorical remains honestly right like in the tea party like yeah i i just think it's i think it just sucks because like like rosa is just such a like tiny baby in their minds and they're like what could rosa do yeah she's a punching bag yeah exactly like they're like she's just doing this whole like she's just doing this whole like president thing as a hobby it's just so damn it's her fucking job <laughs> whatever yeah but yeah, they Rudolph and Hideyoshi are shooting the shit and talking shit about Rosa, I guess. And they discuss their plan and how Ava's low-key, high-key bitter about how Kinzo and Kraus's sexism basically pushed her out of the running for headship. Yeah. Uh, and we cue a flashback of Kinzo and Kraus being horrible and sexist to Ava, saying that girls are too dumb for school. They're just scared that she's going to crush their balls with facts and knowledge and kung fu. Um, exactly. But that basically makes Ava obsessed with the power um, with power and her namesake because she is a girl boss. Gaslight yes. keep all of that. <laughs> um, you should also notice that she's been sporting the bangs even as a high schooler, which, I don't know. It's a minor detail, but bangs just <laughs> they're there to stay. Thanks, thanks, Lorenzo. Are you trying to confess something? What is this? <laughs> what? Bangs? Bowl cuts? Bowl cuts on my turn on. Um, <laughs> no, not really. It's okay. Um, I <laughs> that actually reminded me of something else. Um, my favorite type of girl haircut is the. It's not the hime cut, but it's like the one. Ah, hime cuts are nice, but like it's the one without the two like sides on the face. Like those are the best kind of haircuts, and mm -hmm. they're so cute. And I think so. Like, like Bern Castells. Yes, Vern Castells. But I do not like Vern Castells. Vern Castells is not my pick. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I could think of a, like... It's what you described. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But, like, the hair... hair, like I. But, no, I like that kind of hair, but specifically black, usually. Mm -hmm. I can't. Okay. So, like, I could think of, a, like, five characters. Like, that girl from uh, Snafu, like, my teenage romance Snafu. Like, Yuki, she's not Yuki. Um, the, the girl from Hyoka, mm. my type. <laughs> but, anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> got you. Got the mental image. As again, bank supremacy. Bank supremacy, exactly. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that statement. <laughs> so Kinzo comes in and like basically dispels the, well not dispels, he like stokes the flame of the argument between Kraus and Ava. He says that Ava's duty as a woman is to birth a male heir and her outrageous progressive worldview gets her disinherited before Kinzo starts having a coffee. Yeah, trip. exactly. It's just it's like, what a disgusting lib shit. Like. I know, right? <laughs> she also, like, Kinzo literally calls, I mean, not literally, but he basically calls Cross a pussy and Ava a butch and that the family's a whole disgrace and has this whole oh, talking yeah. fit. Yeah, I think it's really funny because, like, Kingzo basically comes in and then, like, looks at both of them, and then Eva thinks, like, her father might back her up, and she, he just turns around and she's like, shut the fuck up, you both, like... Know, right? <laughs> he also, like, slaps the shit out of Kraus, which is a pretty good scene, I think. It's, it's a really good scene. <laughs> and cue young Ava Sprite. New character art. Amazing. Crazy. Uh... That means keep an eye on her, I guess. She reflects how she wants to basically break the gender barrier and be the girl boss she intends to be. She yeah. really said that people born with gender really can't do anything about it. <laughs> wow, Ava, gender queer queen. <laughs> uh, she makes a promise to herself that she become that she will become the Ushiramiya head. This is like the birth of her imaginary friend, which is herself, which is... I wasn't gonna say sad, but it's a little. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say she she has an imaginary friend. I think that's just. It's more like a motivator, like in her brain. Like it's like I. One of the things I like about it is that like a young Eva, which is I guess she's like maybe like fourteen, like middle school Eva, is like basically like her passion, like her ambition. Like it's mm -hmm. like 
where all her dreams were the most like solidified like i imagine like she like eva had to basically like round her edges and like file down her like scales to like basically be into go into society which she actually talks about in here which is that how she was like well like she fought forever just to go to college and she was like mm-hmm. well if i can't be- make myself the head of the family and then at least i can give birth to the next head right uh, sorry that sounded a little weird but i totally get what you're but, saying but th- that's what <laughs> but, but that's what she says that, yeah she does air, she I does think. she does she does i don't know just just those those words, those, those words inherently I sound weird. I know, it's fine. It's, it's Lorenzo. Yesterday, uh, my roommate and I were making, like, chicken skillet, and then I think mm-hmm. we said something like, you're raising some breasts up here or something, or, like, mm-hmm. was, or, like we, oh, or we be serving breasts up here. Pretty much. <laughs> but it's about chicken skillet. I don't know. Some words are just dirty. They don't even have This to... is why I need to come and visit you. <laughs> exactly. Some words aren't, like, aren't dirty but they just sound dirty you know like <laughs> Lorenzo that's because you have a fucking filthy mind that's filthy I know I'm sorry I'm a dirty boy but <laughs> never <laughs> use the phrase happy ending <laughs> yeah. when you're telling a story there's no such thing as happy endings but anyways um... Wait, while, while we're still on this scene I just like to say uh, two things yeah. first is m- mush I like your interpretation but I, I'd like to, to present mine which is that uh, Eva doesn't have like an imaginary friend or like an imaginary supporter. I would say that's just the representation that the story wants to give of Eva just reflecting upon her life. Oh, yeah, I agree. Just like her thinking about her past, but instead of just being a monologue, the story gives you a, a, a character there and present day mm-hmm. Eva in past. Eva just kind of have an exchange there. Yeah. Exactly. That's the way I look at it. I, I agree too. That's, I actually think that's a really good way to read the scene because I imagine it's more like she just has a lot of not guilt. Guilt is not the word. A regret. Regret. Like literally, mm-hmm. like um, uh, young Eva is just like a manifestation of the regrets she has in life, which is like mm, I should yes. have this fucking head, and that's just what it is. It's yes. like you guys are reading my notes. I basically called her a personified version of her resolve. So pay attention every time the young Ava character sprite is on screen because as we see later, like in the next few lines, she's basically having, Ava is having a conversation with herself, aka the character sprite, about, you know, overcoming her insecurities and becoming the true head of the Ashuramiyas and how Kinzo and Kraus are just absolutely secreting toxic masculinity and her catchphrase uh i don't know if jess wants to chime in yes shinjaiba i can't say it right shinjaiba she kind of has like this very unique growl to it like yeah i love ava's voice actor she's amazing yes um catchphrase oh yeah also shout out to the great voice acting for uh eva to both play young Eva's voice and uh, old Eva's voice and still makes it like perfectly like sound like two distinct oh, yeah. characters talking to each oh, other. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ugh, chef's kiss. Amazing. Yeah, while we're still on Eva in this scene, the other thing I would just like to say is that there, there's a subtle yet very important difference in the way Eva is arguing with Kraus here because it's not just that she isn't as aggressive as she is in the present day because if you look at how she structures her arguments against Kraus. It's like, in the present day, from what we've seen on EP1 and 2, she's always on the offensive. She's like, okay, where am I going to strike this man next? Like, where are this man's uh, weak points? Whilst in the past, she was was much more defensive. She was just like, yo, you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. But like, against Mm -hmm. fucking Kraus logic doesn't work and so like she has evolved past that to the point where she's just like logic ain't getting me nowhere i'm just gonna strike this man where it hurts yeah i think it's really interesting because eva young eva how she argues with Kraus is like you feel like she feels like she could like reason with him like she's like but like you are being sexist and i could do the things that men could do and he's just like shut up you dumb woman and now yeah. like like <laughs> now, now like now current eva how she argues it's just like shut up you stupid man you don't know jack shit like let me school you. yeah yeah 
It's almost like she uses that to her advantage. Whilst in the past she would be yeah. like, no, you're wrong, I'm a woman, but I can also do good things. In the present day she's just like, yeah, I'm a woman, and I'm better than you, as we can clearly see, so shut up, Kraus. I think everyone is better than Kraus. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's kind of a kunk. Um, but anyways, as we see later on in the conversation between Ava and her younger self, she still believes in her resolve to overcome the barriers that society and her father and brother imposed on her uh, preventing her from going upwards and young Ava mentions her magical ability that simply believing in herself it can become true or by the power of miracles they'll come become true we cut to Ava snapping out of her dream reminiscing of her past and her conversation with her younger self the boat lands everybody leaves Ava shows a more timid, tender side of herself and asks Hideyoshi if they fucked up and raised George to be an absolute mama's boy. And Hideyoshi's like, <laughs> yeah, whoops. Um, but Ava really feels guilty about birthing George for the express purpose of obtaining headship. Like, initially, I think she genuinely loves her son, but she's feeling guilty now that she's at the family conference where yeah. a lot of her emotional energy and is spent and a lot of her, I guess, her grudge resurfaces. As you see, it seems that her conversations with her younger self occur more frequently upon the family conference time of the year. Yeah. Because she can she can't get her mind off of, you know, those her past, yeah. Uh, topics. Yeah, the scene that we just saw like is probably coursing through her mind every time she's on the boat, every time she's like at this annual family conference. But yeah. Hideo, she comes with this big dick energy and tells her to calm down, <laughs> covers for her anxiety by telling everybody else that she's going through menopause. <laughs> what a chat, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, I also, just sorry, I just remembered to mention this, but one of my favorite things about uh, earlier this scene is where um, Eva, uh, where like Hideo, she's talking to Rudolph and Rudolph is like, well, like, you know, your wife is kind of a bitch. And then Hideo, she's like, that's not really true. Like, she is, like, a really kind and nice person. Like, way more mellow when she's not on the island. Only when she comes to the island, she brings out the more, like, sharper and aggressive side of her. And The then, bitchy side of her. Yeah, the bitchy side. And then Rudolph is like, is that true? Like, I don't know, man. I know her all my life, and she was a kind of a bitch. And he's like, yeah, because all of your family members... You were bitches. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, everybody in your family basically just brings out the worst of her. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I like to I like that characterization. Like she's probably I mean like honestly everybody's probably fine on their own, but we only as the readers, we only get to see how they are in these in this two day window. So Yeah, yeah. That that's actually something I wanted to touch upon because I read this sentence and I was like, I cannot imagine Eva being anything other than how she is on the island. It's just so weird to think of Eva as a, a more calmer person. Because, like, Eva, for me, is this fucking bitch we see on the island. Even when she's not being a bitch, she's, she always has this this big personality. You yeah. Know? Upon setting foot on the island, Eva hears the faint voice of her younger self call out to her. And as usual, the typical seagull cries can't be heard for shouting something. <clears throat> And if somebody said to her, welcome back, which was even yeah. more scary, I guess. <laughs> I know, it's super ominous. It, like, blacks out the whole screen so she you can, you can feel it. be in Ava's shoes and, and hear the influence of her of her obsession with becoming the head, coming to a head, I guess. Uh, we cut to cut the cousins and Shannon on the island talking about Battler's six-year absence. It takes a bit of time for all of them to get familiar with each other, as we've seen in the past two episodes. But Jessica and Shannon seem to remember him pretty well, and George and Maria are too stupid and baby to actually remember what he looked like, I guess. Shannon recounts Battler's cringe moment from six years ago to jog his memory. Um, it was basically something about him proposing to her as a 12-year-old, and it deadass like, jumps to a shot of the whole island, and he's just screaming out of cringe. I felt yeah. that. Yeah, and he says something like, I'll be back, see you again, surely coming to riding a white horse. And then they're like, wow, Valor, you were so cringe. Could you just imagine you white-knighted some girl when you're, like, fucking six years old? I like how Butler is, is so fucking ashamed of being cringy, but then right after that, he, he, lets out the, he lets out another one of those phrases. Exactly! He goes, uh, what was it? It was, um, 
sorry, I'll get to that later, but that's exactly right. He goes into a very cringy catchphrase moment. Yeah. Um, but all the cousins are like, you know, cringe happens are a part of growing up. You become a cringe lord when you're in middle school, so you're not a cringe lord hopefully later in life. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you will never grow out of your cringe lord phase and then t- t- just grow, just march into adulthood with absolute no shame. <laughs> um, it becomes apparent to Battler that George and Shannon have a thing going on. So he just like whispers to like Jessica. Yeah, he's like, oh man, I had the hots for her when I was a young 12 year old, but I guess good for them. And then Jessica and Battler start talking. Battler asks if Jessica's also interested in a boy and suggests that it's probably the canon whom they met earlier off screen. Jessica's like, oh yeah, I, I, I tried asking a boy out. It didn't go well. And then Battler's like, um, yeah, it's probably because you're too much like a dude, <laughs> lol. What a, wow, what a cringe thing. <laughs> yeah, Butler is so... Okay, yeah, in this in this whole bitch scene, Butler gives off massive sexist vibes, but, like, to be fair, fucking dude living in the 80s. Yeah, it's also a theme of the episode, just sexism keeping you from doing stuff. Mm, I think, yeah. like, I, I really like this because, like, there's gonna be even more massively cringe scenes, which is the scene that I before like cropped and sent to desk. Yes. That is like such a cringe scene. Like I think it's really great because like EP3 is just filled with these moments. Like there's a lot of I actually think it's perfect balance between Umineko talking, like basically having characters doing like super toxic masculinity shit, but then at the same time being super vulnerable. Because like mm. Valor cries a lot, which I appreciate. Like mm-hmm. it's like because like I feel like I had this conversation with Dubs about it, but like it's very often times when intelligent characters are shown to be like emotionless or calculating or logic and like if you want to be smart you have to abandon all emotions but like mm. it's really clear in umineko that's not very true like for example like eva is very smart but she's very passionate like she's angry she's aggressive and doesn't that doesn't make her less smart like battler mm-hmm. is like smart but like he's also extremely emotional like because these are his fucking family and he just cries all the time but like that doesn't mean that he's gonna like stop thinking or like stop arguing and i think that's great like there's no character that's like the i'm a smart person that's why i'm an emotional motionless jerk yeah i think the closest you get to that is kirie oh yeah yes 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 kirie is more like a level-headed um smart person but i would say the only person that's actually emotionless jerk is like bert costello (laughs) oh my god I was going to go slightly off topic, but you're mentioning how like the characters are smart or like, you know, they're they're likable protagonists, but they're also vulnerable. It reminded me of a tweet where somebody said quarantine made them feeling like a sim where it takes them six hours to cook spaghetti and if something gets in their way, they start crying. That's, that's pretty much what happens. Like oh something God. gets in their way, my, they, they start breaking down. Also said this to me. My friend was like, she's like, sometimes I feel like I'm a forgotten sim, where like I like somebody just put me on like like staring into the uh, window mode, and then I just sit there and stare <laughs> into the window for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. me dying of embarrassment. <laughs> but <laughs> that's me not going to nutshell. Something gets in their way, they break down. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah. Aside from that, Battler throws a, a talks to Jessica about her relationship status, tells her she acts too much like a dude, says, hey, did you try asking Cannon out? And she's like, <laughs> about that. But then Battler mentions that Shannon and George and Jessica and Cannon's respective relationships, it, it, it kind of like has this roadblock of becoming a sort of like their status gets in the way of their relationships. Like he doesn't think their family would fully approve of that as evident in the past episodes but battler comforts jessica and deadass says love is love it's love is love. all about heart see you again have a nice day another cringe quote moment as des previously Ooh, mentioned yeah. and jessica's like dude get a load of this cringe lord and all the cousins <laughs> dogpile on onto him but hold on to that quote the see you again have a nice day thing. Good, classic good line classic battler bullshit oh so good and battler's like Okay, let's be friends. I bet after this typhoon passes, we'll be friends forever. And 
guess what happens in two seconds, Babbler? <laughs> Die from that. Uh, the scene where the camera pans to the sky, Meta Meta Battler exclaims, Oh shit, no, let it end, oh my fucking god. And Beatrice <laughs> says, You wish, bitch. Uh, the third game's about to begin. So for those of you who have been listening and haven't finished Umineko no Nakakoroni <laughs> in its in full entirety, in its entirety, I guess, thank you so much for sticking with us. We will begin discussing full series spoilers, so if you haven't read past this point or the whole series please log off in the meantime see cats do crimes see you later see you yay okay so okay, if you cool. want to talk about up2 um i i don't think i actually mentioned how rosa knew the jig was up by the end and started freaking out and tried to like grab her gold and go because i think at that point she realized that the island was going to blow up or something but like how does she know that that's what i one of the things i don't know i i don't know if rosa realized the jig was up when she saw shannon's dead body or she's it's like when she realized she got the last letter right but like the letter right, was there right. she was the one who took out the letter mm-hmm. i just uh, that's a scene that i don't really necessarily understand i still like think about it because i'm like oh but there's a lot of parts of there's really good murders in EP3 that I'm really looking forward to yes. because, <laughs> um, because like it's retroactively amazing to talk about. But yeah, the two the beginning scenes of EP3 is so fucking telling. So yeah, do you want to talk about how what's your guess for the first dream sequence? Okay, so my interpretation uh, about the world end dominator scene at the end of EP2 is that I, I think we talked about this after you left much but okay i think we we established that everything but versus is because of that he's been drinking and that's why he starts singing and shit but like what happened with genji is that genji up until midnight genji is still sayo's servant right so rosa being sayo's accomplice she would know about the gold hidden gold and all of that shit you know so then rosa would after butler left and she was in the you know in the parlor with Maria. When yep. you know after some time she would be like, okay, it's almost midnight. I'm gonna go talk with Genji and like get my money, get out of this island, and you know go on with my fucking life. And so she goes up to Genji, and Genji is like, I'm sorry, Rosa, but up until midnight I am still Sayo's servant, so I'm not gonna tell you where the gold is unless you find it yourself, because those are the rules Sayo, you know, decided oh, upon. Damn. And so Rosa, that makes sense. And then she's like. What the fuck am I gonna do now? Fuck, I'm gonna go get the fuck out of this island. That's the only thing I can do now. So she picks up Maria, goes up, picks up the gold, and then tries to leave. But you know, there's a fucking typhoon mm-hmm. around the island, and so she ends up dying. Mm-hmm. And what we see is just a metaphor for Rosa being unable to leave the island because guess what? There's a fucking typhoon around. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, like, that's a good, valid way of reading about it. I think, like, I think Rosa really just didn't realize that she was supposed to actually go find the gold and such. Yeah. Oh, I thought Kumasawa was, like, definitely behind almost everything because she always had those weird monologues in the first two episodes and nobody oh, she else had lots does. of weird, just like, weird ass monologues. <laughs> yeah, she's like the meta character on Rokinjima. I'm like, why the hell is she getting all this? But <laughs> I guess it was kind of a red herring. But I guess we can dive into what we just covered because there was a little bit to suss out, I guess. There's a lot of stuff. Okay, so let's talk about the first Kuadorian scene. So uh, yeah. um, I think like I think most people read that scene as like young Yasu scene, but like you said, you think it might be second, like Beatrice the second. <laughs> I wrote it as B B E A uh, two, the number two R I C E Beatrice Beatrice Beatrice. Why am I? On this podcast, Jesus. Okay, yeah, continue. Sorry, oops. Oh, I got it. You call you called it Beatu. Yeah, Beatu. 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 Okay. So, so what about so what about her? Like, so you think that scene could also apply to her? Yeah, but I think um, a couple things that I got hung up on was the whole vase metaphor. This reminds me of Catcher in the Rye. Hate that book. There was a whole like <laughs> one and a half page passage about. A snow-covered fire hydrant, and I'm like, why the hell is this a thing that I'm reading with my eyes? And then they did the exact <laughs> same thing with the vase in the beginning, and I was like, 
on the reread, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I get it. Because first of <laughs> all, it's Grandpa's vase, so I guess it's Young Yasu. Second of all, uh, they they recount that Grandpa said something so beautiful should never be touched, and like way to live by your word, Kinzo, because. <laughs> Guess who freaking does that? There's a lot of things that are set up by Kinzo, like the sexism stuff, that are all, all these boundaries that Kinzo sets that are broken by either himself or other characters, as you later see. But uh, I thought the vase one was pretty, like, on a reread, of course, just sort of, now that we know what happens, bruh, Kinzo, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> Way to be a hypocrite. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, um, I, I, I think I mentioned this earlier up in EP2, but, like, Kinzo is, like, Kinzo's sexism basically, like, fucks everybody over in a majorly way, and, like, basically everything Kinzo did basically planted seeds to, like, grow in later and, like, later parts. Like, the yeah. whole part about, like, how Kinzo is sexist towards Eva, and that's why it drives Eva crazy. It's kind of funny to think about, like, how he's so misogynistic and, like, thinks, like, woman is worth nothing when, like, all his fucking fortune comes from, like, a random, like, a fascist sympathizer. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Oops. I mean, not kidding. That's, that's the truth. Oops. <laughs> it's fucking crazy when he starts thinking about it, tracing it down and all. Like, uh, pretty much all of the problems these characters have are a cascade that it all comes back to Kinzo. It all comes back to Kinzo. Yeah, he was an incel, and then, like, not like an actual incel, but he he's kind of like a neckbeard in the beginning in his, like, World War II flashback, and then, like, it just gets exacerbated after Castiglione dies. Castiglione. Castiglione. I trust the European (laughs) saying it. Um, I think, like, another thing that I think is really interesting about the Kuadorian scene is that, like, I just, I think it's interesting that, like, then Young Yasu must have been permitted to go to Kuadorian then. Because I don't think a lot of people were allowed to go to Kuadorian. Wait, wait, can you repeat that? Okay, there's a few things interesting about the Kuadorian scene. So, like, the Kuadorian uh, is like a hidden mansion, right? And not many people know about it. I don't even yes. think many pa- like many servants know about it. So, like, I think the only... Yeah, that's one thing I noticed. Because it, it is it is mentioned that there are other servants that go there besides Genji and Komasawa. So that, that was an interesting thing. I Okay, and also, I feel like, didn't Yasu only go to Kuadorian uh, later on? Didn't she only go back to Kuadorian later on when she grew, like... She like found the man, like she found the mansion. Oof, I, I, I don't really remember what's the EP seven um, explanation or EPA explanation. If she, if she was, she always frequent uh, Kuadorian or not? No, she was born like Sayo was born. Then uh, Kinzo took Sayo and gave Sayo to Natsuhi. Then Natsuhi threw her off. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just mean like after she became a servant, which is when she was like fucking six years old. Did you think she ah. went back to Kuadoria, or did she only found Kuadoria when she was like maybe like like I don't know, fifteen or whatever, seventeen or something? Maybe. Uh, we'll we'll have to read the the manga for it. But anyway, or read through the later parts, but. I think that scene could also just be applied that it happened in the main mansion. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that if that actually just happened in the main mansion again. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that interpretation too because that would make um when when everything comes crashing down on Sayo, just realizing like their hidden past and absolutely everything, all the bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like it helps helps uh, exacerbate their spiral into insanity. I have something to add to your theory, Mushroom, about how this could be happening in the main mansion. Because if you think about it, what is Kuadorian? Kuadorian is the birdcage that Kinzo uses to trap Beato, right? Yeah. So, thinking about Beato as the as the conjunction of the three Beatos we know of, instead of Beato being Sayo, like thinking about the plural Beato. You could say that, like, Sayo is in a way in a trapped by Kinzo because of Kinzo's actions. Yeah. So that could very well happen in the mansion and Kuadorin be a metaphor for how trapped she is because of Kinzo's actions. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very interesting to think about that because basically in EP3, Beatrice, uh, quote-unquote, Yasu Beatrice is going to be start, like, um, 
taking in memories of Beatrice II and claim it as mm-hmm. her own. For example, claiming the death of Beatrice II as her own, mm-hmm. which I think will be mm-hmm. interesting when we get there. But yeah, I, I, there's still other scenes that we have to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the whole um, young Eva, young Eva, old Eva scenes. How do you like those scenes? Aren't they so great? I love them. <laughs> I like them a lot. Yeah, it's a very good way of characterizing Eva as a person and makes you makes you uh what compartmentalize your opinion of her on a reread because you realize young Ava is you know childish she has ambition and she's going to get what she wants no matter the cost and then adult Ava's like oh I don't know or like was it timid Ava is kind of like her softer side that you see between her and Hideyoshi and you're like and she's she's like Oh, I, I I don't know. Like, am I a horrible mom for just like doing all this just for a silly title? And then Young Ava's like, "Oh yeah, no, do it. It's like worth it." <laughs> you know. <laughs> I feel like it's very interesting because when, whenever there there are conversations between younger people and older people in fictional stories, it's it usually goes in in this way. It's the younger person is telling is like frustrated about how the older people have lost sight of their goals and are no longer, you know, working towards them. And the older people are always looking down upon the younger people because they are, you know, too blind about all of these other things they have to take into account that they are, you know, blind to because they are young and don't know about many things, you know. But but like seeing this in the same person is very interesting because like it's you. You know, you know exactly how you felt like at that time. And so it's an interesting scene. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think that just shows like an evolution in character. Um, and I and I think it's interesting that you pointed out the whole subversion uh, point of view with that. Because with Ava, e- even though we see her as sort of uh, like this really dominating character who, uh, like, I really hate to use this derogatory uh, word, but it like sort of like quote unquote like bitchy, when we see her. Uh, with her family talking with her family kind of bring out that part of her but then we compare that to how we see her when uh with young ava and it it just makes for interesting interest very interesting dynamic Mm -hmm. for sure i also wanted to i mean i don't know if we want to keep talking about uh young ava and old ava stuff but i think another really important part of this story is the introduction of actual magic before the reader's eyes Mm. and now that we know that magic is basically embellishments and stuff i mean i think yeah i think i think you're not supposed to realize that yet but like i do really love the concept of they introduce the idea of like oh magic fix the vase and then the vase still gets broken and it's just like and you have to close your eyes for it to work (laughs) like there are more apparent instances of it being a trick uh, later on but it's just now on a reread you're like oh, stupid stupid yeah it's like that... it's basically spelling it out for you you know yeah i don't know what happened with me on my first playthrough because when i read that thing about the face i was not deceived like i saw through it i knew that was you know like that those kinds of lies you tell to a child because yeah you know it's it's an older woman speaking with a child it, it makes sense you see that all the time in real life for some reason i didn't connect the dots about how that would obviously fit into the story and so I, I yeah. was still deceived all the way through about, you know, the main thing. Ooh, prompt. That's, that's, <laughs> I like that. How, how it managed to tell you the answer kind yeah. of, I mean, like yeah. it, gave, it gave you enough hints, but it wasn't enough for you to like put together what was really going on uh, further on in the story. Um, there's also the mention that OG Beatrice mentions. Now, OG Beatrice mentions that her witch master probably has, like, the endless power to restore the vase for real. And I'm like, so your boss could buy a new vase, I guess? Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. That's actually... I was actually thinking about this. I was sitting here and thinking about it. I'd be like, who do you think Kumasawa is saying her her previous master, blah, 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 is? And I was like, why is he calling it endless witch or something, something? But, like, it actually makes a lot of sense when you just say, like, oh, Kumasawa is referring to... It's fine. Kingsville could just buy a new vase. Yeah, because he has has endless magic, which I mean by the golden power, which by endless endless gold. gold, Oh Jesus! Buy a new vase. Like that's hilarious. Uh That's actually a really good reading of it. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, what was it? Sadness comes from separation and loss, and the best way to prevent that is to revive everything forever, which I think money more or less basically does. But 
in other words, you can interpret that as endless magic being the power to never move on. Yeah, Because yeah. that's kind of why Umineko Yeah, happens. which is, I think, I think that line is supposedly, it's supposed to be wrote, written that way to be really flawed because, like, that is completely not true. Like, because after she says that, she's like, endless magic could just be preserved. Like, as in, like, happiness could be served by endless magic and immediately it switched scenes to, like, Beatrice waking up and Beatrice is like, endless magic is really fucking boring and I'm already regretting this because it actually <laughs> shows, like, she's, like, really fucking hate it. Like, you know, like, it's not a good time. Yeah. Uh, okay, I wanted to mention this because uh, my friend Dubs wrote this in his notes, which I bolded it because it's really important. Because we just have to say, EP3, uh, like, cousin talking scenes with Shannon is the literal, like, most fucking telling conversation of all time, right? Like, we agree, right? Like, every single thing they say is, like, mm-hmm. the worst. Like, <laughs> like, like the memory is the key to EP3 is what Dubs wrote, and he wrote, uh, Shannon remembers a lot. Maria only remembers interesting things. Valor, Jessica, George don't remember that well. And then Beatrice is forgetful. And I just think that's insane. Like, Shannon... Like, when Shannon's like, ah, the see you again scene. And also, I think it's really interesting because EP3 Battler is very different from EP1 and EP2 Battler. Because in EP1 Mm, and 2 Battler, he never knows. Like, he doesn't really even notice that, like, George is, like, dating Jessica. Like, sorry. George is dating Shannon and Jessica has feelings feelings for Canon. But, like, EP3 Battler immediately has the emotional intelligence to realize that yeah and i think yeah and it's like in like and that's really interesting and like of course like in ep3 battler is more like not emotional but like emotional open about this and i think that's a clear sign of how how yasu writes battler and how battler writes himself because like yeah (laughs) okay okay. you want one more you want one more to add to that But, uh, because I actually noticed Butler diverged a lot from EP1 and EP2 Butler, but in another way. Because in EP2 and EP2, oh, fuck, EP1 and 2 Butler, <laughs> he rejects battle like full force. But in EP3, he's mm-hmm. a lot more, haha, playful. Let's, you know, let's play with words here a little. You know, take a jab at you, you mm-hmm. take a jab at me, ha, battle, let's play around a bit. So it's just like. It's very, it's way more, yeah. He's getting to know battle, getting a bit more comfortable, you know, growing closer. And it's like, it's almost as if, you know, the, the emotional intelligence, as you as you said, like, the more you know a person, the more likely you are to notice small things about them. And so it's interesting mm. seeing Meta Butler and Gameboard Butler growing together. Yeah, um, I, I, however, like, the thing is, is like, I think it's like very flirtatious the whole time how they talk to each other. But I will have to say, like... If we like to if we interpretate this in like well, I don't know quote unquote real world nineteen ninety eight setting blah, blah blah like I just think like I still just think like it's funny how Battler all the characters written are slightly different from how they're written in EP three like I think like Jessica is written in a very hysterical way <laughs> in EP one and two <laughs> like not saying that she's not like she's like she's still a lot in EP three like the whole like Jessica arguing with uh, like Eva and like getting her side blinded by the gun scene like those are very like genuinely like emotional but I just think it's really funny because Mm -hmm. like in EP2 uh, like Jessica basically has the whole idea of like I'm gonna kill the culprit kill them now but like like, (laughs) I mean that still exists in EP3 of course but yeah I gotta say, I didn't realize all this development because I, I not realize, but I think I like felt it. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's easy to read. I don't think it's easy to find out about it at all. For sure, like, but I felt myself getting more connected with Battler as much as I hate to admit because I was getting attached to all the characters and I was straying away from blaming any of the cast members from being the actual culprit. But <laughs> now that you pointed out, I'm like. Oh man, everyone, all, character development. Character development. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the whole like talking about bringing the white horse, pony theory. This is how the beginning of pony theory starts. The whole concept. Pony, pony theory. theory. Oh, have you ever heard of pony theory before? Yes. No, explain. <laughs> I have yet to have heard about it. It's okay. So uh, this is a part of like all the old theories of Umineko. And one of the theories is pony theory. Because at that time, people don't really necessarily know what is Battler's like t- 
six years in. And the only thing that Bexasig mentions that, like, oh, what could have he forgot? Like, they're like, oh, you forgot something. And that's the only thing that mentioned is in EP3. They say, like, oh, Balor was going to come back to uh, Shannon with a pony, like a white pony. White and he horse. Was gonna say, yeah, white horse. Well, anyway, white horse. And then the whole, like, whole theory just hinges on the idea that, like, uh, like Shannon wanted a pony, and that's why she kills everybody. Pony theory. That's literally it. <laughs> and it ended up being kind of right. It's just it just makes it like only partially right. Like I mean, like of course, like because pony theory involves them not necessarily haven't got the full truth yet, but like it's an interesting theory. It's emotionally there. Yeah. What else? What else? Okay, I wanted to touch upon uh, Eva Beato's magic because. I really like all the kinds of magics that are in Luminec, right? You have the endless magic, which is essentially, you know, writing shit forever. Uh, you have the golden magic, which is, it can be either having money or let's all agree on this thing and stick with it. You have Virgilia's magic, which she states to be based on belief, which is true, you know, like, believe this phase got fixed, all right? All right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and then you get to Eva Beto's magic which is like you have all of these intricate kinds of magics you also have maria's magic which is you know from zero to one you know creating something and then eva beato is just like you know let's just believe really hard on this you know just just believe you can do it okay eva we'll get there for sure it's like it sounds so naive to just be like yeah, we'll we'll do this. So we will. We like as long as you have a strong will. Like it feels so much like a shonen story. And like up until starting to record this episode, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna mention this and about how this completely like shows how naive Eva Beato is, since you know it's Eva's more childish side. But then when I start thinking about this, you know, like Higurashi's flowers for a while. Uh, let's have a timer on screen. Is this is like exactly what the certainty from Lambda to Takano is? Just Takano worked really hard. This she worked so hard that she achieved certainty that she would succeed. And now that I think about it, that's kind of what Eva Beato is going for. She's kind of going for that same certainty, which is interesting when you think about the fact that fucking Lambda is sponsoring Beato and Eva becomes Eva Beato. It's just there's just so much shit like. I mean, working around I mean, to make this... I showed you, I showed the screenshot of like Eva, just young Eva says, it will, my magic could be granted any wish with certainty. And I was like, that's really funny. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, yes. There's just this, so much shit working together. I love Luminec. Yeah, I think something that we need to like keep in mind is that Lambda Delta is now a player now. Like the end of EB2 kind of sets up that uh, we, we got a new. Uh, we got a new witch, and we're going to see how they're going to mix in with everything in EP3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, is, does anybody else have any other thoughts, or should um, we? I feel like we are yeah, encroaching on to too long. Yes, we are. So I, I'll just save my <laughs> other thoughts for later, because I don't know how relevant they are. Yes, no, no, just say it, just say it! <laughs> if it's not relevant, we'll just cut uh, it. <laughs> say it, say it. Um, no, no, because it was, it was just some really good lines I had for when we covered the later part of the story, so. Okay, do you want to say it so you can remember? Oh, um, how Sayo's just an edgelord gamer calling all her summons, like, level 27 demons or <laughs> magic and oh, stuff. Oh, uh, I'm excited for one day we can finally start talking about how, um, uh, Sayo makes the whole, her whole world and her whole magic system, and, like, how she basically is just writing some, like, really in-depth medieval fantasy shit right now like a <laughs> like a six like a like a eighth grader just like and how like how she like uses how she uses like maria's toys as o- like t- like as bases for like ocs and like how chesta sisters yeah, pretty much like like ha- like how they create chesta sisters how she created all the stakes like she really is just writing friend like friend fiction like it's just like, oh, all the Pretty bitches much. I hate, gonna write them. Some, I write some RPF. Yeah, exactly. You, no, I mean, all of Uineko is RPF, like, if you think about it. Like, the whole point of That's Uineko true. is RPF. And then, um, so, like, yeah, it's fucking hilarious. Like, 
like like Yasi's like, oh god, I fucking hate all these bitches. It's gonna make them all my underlings and make them like like subservient to me. <laughs> I forgot to mention the uh, I, I guess when you guys are talking about Lambda having a hand in basically becoming granting Ava the power of miracles or whatever. Um, her witchhood. Just like the idea of witchhood being like how young Ava was stubborn and had an obsessive desire to become the head granted her witchhood. Mm. I don't know where I was going with this note, but I just realized, I mean, not just realized, but I think a common theme with witches is that if you really want it, you become a witch. Yeah. Like you have to like really, really want it as you've seen in. Uh... <laughs> okay. Specifically with Lambda's, with Lambda's branch of witchdom. Yeah. Yeah. Which is certainty. If you work hard enough, you will achieve. That's essentially. Oh yeah. What... Yeah. Like, like uh, Lambda is a hard worker. Um, that's why. Okay. Okay. This is going to be me sitting here out here to shit on go, but this is why I'm still going to stand by that. I think. Uh, like Lambda Delta is a way like Mio is a way better Lambda Delta than Satoko is. Even if Satoko could become a Lambda yes. Delta, I think Mio is the correct brand of stubbornness, like stubbornness, because that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm. That's why I say Burn Castell is a fucking dummy because uh, Lambda Delta's power um, of certainty and all of her Mikos basically Balor is Balor Beatrice, even Eva Beatrice, who are all her like I, under her are uh, people who are like basically if you work hard enough or if you keep doing it over and over again you will get it and like that's why i say burn castell's an idiot because burn castell's miracle and her thing is just like well if i live through enough loops one of them will make me live (laughs) like like like, it's like it's the one thing out of a thousand instead of like okay oh it's to be fair mushroom to be fair to protect Fucking Bern Castell, you, you, I cannot stand you disgracing Bern Castell's <laughs> great name, alright? To be fair, what we see of Bern is at the end of the loops, alright? After fucking 100 years of loops, we don't know how she was at the start of the loops, okay? Maybe she was a really hard worker. Now she's just fucking tired of life and wants to die, alright? <laughs> it's been like 100 years of shit. Exactly. She, she's been through shit, alright? Oh, <laughs> Give it a rest. I, I still think, myself, my favorite Twitter, uh, Twitter thing is just like, I can't believe how... Um, how Burn Castell's name comes from like fucking wine. It comes from wine. <laughs> anyway, I think we're done. Uh, yes. See you again. <laughs> uh, have a nice day. <laughs> see cats. Do crimes. End of uh, end of Uneko Book Club episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hopefully, we'll cover more things. I hope we can at least get to like witches of the forest. Oh, for sure. I- I think we will. It's pretty, yes. It's very exciting. Uh, Stay tuned. Please come back. Please come back. (laughs) We're begging. them to be more normal people is for is basically reading epa like the whole point of epa is to reimagining them as like completely nice lovely normal people who have bad days and but like are just like (laughs) and we just happen to read 200 hours of the two bad days they have exactly like exactly (laughs) like basically we are reading the worst days of their lives like two worst days of their lives over and over and over again (laughs) And like, the Ushira Mias and the very good, no bad, good for nothing day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, and like in EPA, like, Eva is like really sweet. Like, she cares about her family. Like, she makes jokes and she could be kind of quippy and sarcastic, but that's not like her, like, main personality like you know what i mean yeah we see we see her act like that in the airport in episode one like all the family get together like incredibly well i guess but (laughs) as we've seen oh yeah that's also very true like if you it's actually kind of sad uh going back to read ep1 i think i had that feeling exactly which is that like when you just see all the family just like kind of joking to each other and talking and it's like really painful to read like (laughs) they they basically they subtly mentioned that the conference basically brings the worst out in them yeah Yeah. because other than that they're typical normal people